Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Let's uh, get our Bibles out. If your Bible's on an electronic device, then that's fine. Open that up, but don't play games or look at Facebook. Just go to the Bible and uh, turn to Titus chapter 3. We'll read verses 3 through 7 in just a few moments. Last week, we talked about the church as the bride of Christ. And as always, you can always go online and listen to messages. They're usually posted uh, sometime on Monday morning. And, uh, or you can podcast through Apple Podcasts, and, and they'll show up uh, automatically if you set them up that way. But anyway, we talked about the fact that the, the, the church is the bride of Christ, and, that, and we talked about Praise Center, this church, being uh, a family that is also part of the bigger family uh, uh, of, of churches around the world, but specifically, we're part of a family, a bigger family of churches called Foursquare Churches, and uh, we don't have Foursquare on our sign out there, and that's because we're only uh, uh, a block and a half away from another Foursquare Church, so we thought that would look weird, <laughs> but we're not ashamed of being Foursquare and all that. You say, well, how did we, what happened? Well, anyway, we bought this property uh, after they were there. They were there first, and we bought this property that was an existing church, so we ended up close to them, and we blessed them, and we loved them. In fact, they used the baptistry about a year ago, and so, you know, it just all get to share. So, uh, but there are, in, in this valley, there are uh, four Foursquare churches. One does Spanish and English churches uh, services. There's one that we planted on the east side, which is the living room. This is Foothills, and here is us. But beyond that, there is a larger group of churches in America and much, much larger in the world. There are places like Panama where Foursquare is the predominant denomination. Uh, Brazil, there uh, is huge. Indonesia, I think there's over 14,000 Foursquare churches in Indonesia. So, so there, it, it is a very much a worldwide uh, um, uh, commitment to each other and a family that we're really glad to be a part of. Now, when I talk about a denomination, some people are against denominations. They, they, they will say, oh, I, I thought this was a non-denominational church. And I always think when I hear that, I think, well, what you want to do is be in a denomination called non-denominational, right? Because that's just another way of classifying, isn't it? To say, well, I want to be in a non-denominational church. And I'm not against non-denominational. I'm just saying there's nothing really wrong with being part of a denomination. I've used this illustration many times before, but uh, you know, I can give you a $20 bill, two $10 bills, four fives or 21s, and your choice based on what your need might be uh, would decide which one of those you want, but we understand that they all have the same value, don't we? And, and those are different denominations of money. And so it is with the church. There are different denominations. They have different function in some ways, but ultimately they're all part of the same thing, and they, 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 we're just part of the same family. So, so different denominations can have the same value. You could be Baptist, you could be Methodist, you can be Assemblies of God, you can be, uh, be Foursquare. And they all have the same value to God as part of the family of God, as the church of God. Now, maybe you like this term better, and you could use this if you want, because you could call us a tribe, right? That's, that goes, in fact, that's very biblical in the sense that uh, the Bible says that every nation, every tongue, and every tribe is going to be in heaven someday, right? So these different tribes throughout the earth, whether they be tribes because of nationality or tribes because of denominational affiliation, are all going to join in heaven together. We don't have these walls between us in terms of denominations. We simply have these ideas that we're just open to all. In fact, uh, the term we actually technically use for Foursquare is we are interdenominational, not, 
necessarily denominational. Does that make sense? So interdenominational. In other words, anybody's welcome from any denomination to come be a part of this family. Okay, you with me? All right. So um, uh, some people, like I say, are, are against the idea of denominations. And I think that stems from the idea that nobody, and I get this, nobody wants some hierarchy somewhere else telling this local church what to do right? And, and, and maybe they're going to say something we have to do or believe that's going to be contrary to what we teach here or what we believe. And, uh, and I know that has happened before in some, but I want to assure you that with Foursquare, we, we are a very servant leader-based organization in which there is not a lot of heavy-handedness at all. In fact, I can't even remember the last time I was told what to do. But nevertheless, there is accountability over me so that if there's a problem that you see in my life that needs to be addressed to the level of removal of a pastor, that can be achieved by contacting our district office and that sort of thing. And, and uh, please don't do that. No, anyway. So, so anyway, I just want to make you aware, though, that we are part of that. You might ask when you hear the word foursquare, what does that mean? Why the word foursquare? Because it isn't a word that we use much anymore. We might think of the game foursquare or foursquare clothing, or there's an app for foursquare to tell where your friends are, I guess. I don't, I've never really used that. But anyway, how many use the app foursquare? That's what I thought. It's pretty much not a, not a thing. But anyway, but uh, the word foursquare comes from the 14th century English. It means something that is, wait for it, square. <laughs> so, uh, but that's not our primary meaning today. It also means, and this is the part that really addresses uh, something about who we are, marked by boldness and conviction right? Marked by boldness and conviction. That's one of the meanings of foursquare. Another older word we might use is forthright, very forthright. Like we, be we believe certain things and we're forthright, we're bold, we, are we have conviction about it. So that's what that's all about. But the word has fallen out of use, especially in the last century or so. Um, the King James Version used the word nine times in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament. You won't find it there in the newer translations. In the Old Testament, it always referred to something to do with the altar, and it mostly had to do with the shape of the altar, that it was in a square. Um, but in the New Testament... You find out, and I have the verse here from the King James Version, from Revelation 21.6, it says, The city lieth foursquare. So apparently, we know for sure, I don't know about the rest of the denominations, but we are going to be there. <laughs> Tongue in cheek, being removed now. Okay, so anyway, there's where the word foursquare kind of, uh, it talks about the size of the city, it's 12,000 furlongs, and Basically, that's about like 1,500 miles. If you can imagine, this city is, if the, if the moon was a cube or a pyramid, those are the two shapes that would qualify, uh, that, that, um, that's about the size of this heavenly city that we're talking about. Huge, plenty of room for us and anybody else we can get to come with us. Amen? You want to you, you go to heaven someday or not? Okay, I just, I'm not, we're not going right now. I just want to know if you want to go, you know, someday. All right. I hope we're not going right now. Well, maybe. I actually do. Um, okay. But, so we have this idea of, of uh, four square, but the four square is also a play on words. It, 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 we are marked by boldness and by conviction. Uh, and we're solidly built. That's another way to look at it. Something that's solidly built. But in addition, there are four characteristics, and here's where the play on words comes from, four characteristics about Jesus Christ that we heavily emphasize, and those are uh, represented by these symbols right here, and that is the fact that uh, we have Jesus Christ, our Savior. I bet you can guess which one is that, right? The cross. And uh, Jesus Christ, our healer, found in the cup 
of the blood where he says that the, the, his stripes, uh, by his stripes we're healed, so by the sacrifice what we remember, and we're going to study that next week. And, and, uh, and Corey, are you here? Where's Corey? Oh, would you ask him if he would mind doing communion next week? Normally we say it for the first Sunday of the month, but I'd like to move it to next week because it's a fifth Sunday. And then we're going to talk about Jesus Christ, the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, as it was on the day of Pentecost and all that. And then finally, Jesus Christ, our soon coming King on Palm Sunday. That's where we're headed with this. So the next four weeks, we're going to be talking through these four doctrines, basic doctrines. Today is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now let's look at our text from Titus 3, starting in verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That describes, in general, humanity, just the, the, the terrible mess that humanity is in. Uh, verse 4, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's say those four words together. Go. Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Aren't you glad for the promise of eternal life? In the, in the Bible. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and for this hope of eternal life. Thank you that the, the story is an amazing story, that you came, that you, you uh, sought us out, and that you provided the way of salvation for each and every one of us. We can look around our world today and see what a mess it is in, Lord, all the hatred and the greed and all the different sin that's out there. But you came to intersect lives including our own and we thank you for that we thank you that you're with us right now in jesus name amen how many have ever been like completely lost before you you were like Rhonda. Rhonda will i'll be driving along and i may turn on the wrong and she'll immediately say we're lost and i'll go no we're not because every time she says we're lost eventually we do get back home so you know we're not it's not like we're completely lost i mean uh, ultimately, we are on planet Earth, so I know that much so far. Pro probably in the United States somewhere, somewhere within Washington State. I may not know what street this is and why I'm on it right now, but I'll get where I need to go. And so, um, so mostly, but, uh, but you're not just driving, but anybody ever uh, had an experience where you're like lost in the woods or anything like that? Anybody? Oh, my goodness. I like to hear those stories. That's fun. Yeah, really? Oh, my goodness. That's so scary when that kind of thing happens. Uh, what, what's, there's only one thing worse than being lost yourself is losing one of your children. <laughs> Andrew and I, and I just had a conversation. They were uh, with, with all their kids. They have four boys, and <laughs> it sounded like every other five minutes another one had wandered off someplace. Funny stuff. Okay. Well, anyway, I have a quick story about me being lost in the woods. And, and if I, looking back on it now, I feel like such an idiot, such a fool. But you've got to understand, until I was 15 years old, I was raised kind of a city boy. I lived near Boston, Massachusetts. I grew up around towns that were very tight together. You almost couldn't get lost because if you walked even in the woods anywhere around there in Massachusetts, you'd very quickly come to another road and it would, you know, eventually you'd get where you needed to go. So there were no vast regions of woods that were, you know, but I moved to Oregon and I really don't have an idea of how big this state is compared to Massachusetts, number one, and how vast the open terrain was that was there. And so 
That summer, I'd given my life to the Lord. I started meeting people in church. Fall comes. It's hunting season. I took a hunter safety course. Um, uh, there was a guy in the church. Now, you've got to remember, this is the, the 70s, 1973. There's this guy there. He looked like, well, he looked like Jesus. Let's just say that. He had really long hair and a great big beard. He, or maybe Duck Dynasty. Think that. That's, that's here you go. So he, he's kind of one of these guys, but kind of a mountain man, kind of a hippie. You know, I didn't know if, if uh, I knew he knew the Lord but I didn't know if maybe I smelled marijuana. I don't know. But he was just one of these guys you wondered about, you know, was he all there? He kind of acted kind of goofy. And he was, so, he was so used to the woods, and he was so used to being that kind of person that just went out and did these things. That, um, so, so he takes me out hunting. He, we, we fired the rifle. We got all figured out with that. And I began to walk along, and he says, okay, here's what you're going to... And it, before I left, though, he said, he gave me a bullet casing. I, don't, I think it was probably a .30-06 or something like that. But he gave me a bullet casing, and he said, if you get lost, we don't want to scare the deer, so just blow on this and I'll hear you, okay? And just, so you know how you blow across the top of a bottle? Hello? Everybody here today? Okay. And so you blow across, the, and it makes a little whistling sound, okay? So I'm, I'm you know, I'm blowing, whoo, whoo, like this, and, and then so, all right, I checked it out. So, so he says, you, you walk down this ridge here along this side, and I'll be on the other side of the ridge here, and, and maybe the deer will come around your way, or maybe, and so there's this long walk, and so, again, I'm a city boy, and so I start walking, and it's a little bit misty and foggy, and I'm walking and walking, and, and after about literally only 15 minutes or so, I look around, and I, like the ridge was gone, I, I went to the top of the ridge, I looked over, I couldn't see him anywhere, and I immediately, I'm not kidding, I immediately went into a panic. I just had, like, I thought, oh, I'll be left forever out here, there's no way back to civilization. You know, like, now I think about how silly, but anyway, I, had, I wasn't oriented, I hadn't really thought about where I was and all that, and I was just lost, I was so lost. So I start blowing, <laughs> and I didn't hear any response, and so I moved over a little bit and did it again, and I kept blowing on this thing, and pretty soon I'm just, <laughs> you know, blowing on that stupid bullet casing, trying to, you know, and, and literally, I'm not kidding, after a while, uh, panic, you ever had this happen? We just get panicked, and I started panicking, and I just took off running. <laughs> like, what a stupid thing to do. <laughs> I'm running through the woods. <laughs> it makes no sense now, you know, but, but back then it seemed right to me. But, um, and I was, I, I just started shouting his name, you know, I just said, Paul, Paul, you know, and he, he finally found me and kind of raised his eyebrows and looked at me, shook his head a little bit, but anyway, at that point I could have cared less about deer or hunting or anything else, but I needed help, right? I was lost. And, and, and a lot of times, people don't even realize they're lost, but, but I think at some point, you have to come to the realization that when it comes to spiritual things, you're lost if you, before you can come to the fact and the realization that there's a Savior who has come to find you. Does this make sense? And so, so this is really what, what I'm describing is this picture of someone who's lost in their sins. They're, they're wandering around. That's what verse 3 is, is describing for us as we read a moment ago. He says at one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We were living in malice and envy and being hated and hating one another. We're lost. Those are the indications you are lost. And all the blowing on a bullet casing is not going to help you in a time like that. You're a mess. We wander through this life trying to be cool and convincing ourselves that all is well, but down deep inside we know that things are not right with our soul. As long as we continue to persuade ourselves that everything's okay, we're just going to blunder along in our lostness. Not until we recognize and realize that we're truly lost can we even begin to recognize our need for a Savior. With me.
So I'm going to talk about, uh, from our passage today, three, three things, three keys I see here that have to do with salvation. Jesus Christ, our Savior, is what we're preaching about. And the first thing I want to talk to you today about quickly is the price of salvation. Let's talk about that first. Back in Genesis chapter 1, if I asked how many have read that, everybody's at least read Genesis 1. <laughs> That's the beginning of the book. Now, whether or not we've gotten deep into the weeds in Leviticus, I don't know. But, but, but we've all read chapter 1, and I think we all have a general idea about what's going on. And I love that each day starts with the same thing. What does it start with? It says, and God, what? Said, right? He just said. And as soon as he said, let there be light, what happened? Bam, light was everywhere. And let there be, and every time he said, let there be this or that, those things would just appear because of God's mighty power. By the way, when it comes to God's power, the needle, if there's a needle on his power, it didn't budge at all when he created the entire universe. Do you understand? He is infinite in power, infinite in all of his uh, ways and, and everything that he knows. He, he knows infinitely all things, and he can do all things. So it didn't, didn't bother him a bit to create things. So he fills the universe with billions of galaxies, billions and billions of stars in the galaxy. The sun, the moon, the stars, the planet, all, God, all of those God said. And then he populates the land with animals and plants and everything that's needed for life. And it's so varied and so unique, each one. And then finally, the crown of his creation, believe it or not, you may not think this is true, especially in our uh, PC climate today. It almost seems like animals have become more important, but I want you to know for sure God's word declares you are the pinnacle. You are the crown of God's creation, okay? I'm not, I don't hate animals. Don't misunderstand me. I don't want any letters, but I'm just, you understand what I'm saying? They've sort of taken the place. And, and nothing is more true in this, I don't want to get into a big tangent here, but in the fact that we are willing to sacrifice innocent babies in the womb without question, but if you do any kind of cruelty to an animal, you'll be locked up for a long, long time. Do you, you understand how upside down this is becoming? And this is exactly what Romans 1 describes. It says this is what's going to happen. Thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools. So, so this is what's going on in our culture today and really around the world. That's why when we get to Jesus Christ, soon coming king, we're going to find out that he's coming soon, folks. There's so much going on. He needs to get here quick. Uh, amen. All right. So, um, so God made us as, a, as the crown of his creation. Listen to this. Creation was really a simple thing for God, if you want to put it in those terms. He spoke and it was done. But on the other hand... Saving man, providing salvation for man, was a far greater undertaking for God, if you can think through this with me. See, to create, God only had to speak. But to redeem man, God had to die. It took the breath of God to make man a living soul, but it took the blood of God to save him. Make no mistake, Jesus Christ is God. That's what we're talking about. The greatest thing that God has ever done or ever will do is to send his only son to this planet and to this earth to die for the sins of fallen humanity. And by the way, I just want to be clear about this, and I say this many times as well, but the fact is that the plan of salvation, what Jesus did for you and me, is not plan B because plan A, putting mankind in the garden, was plan A, and oh, and that failed, so what are we going to do now? Let's come up with plan B. Don't ever think of it that way, because for sure God already knew how things were going to turn out, and what he said about that from uh, 1 Peter 1.19 is uh, that God saved us with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but revealed in these last times for your sake. 
So, so he, he chose him before the creation of the world to provide salvation for us. It was already a done deal in the heart of God, even before he spoke the worlds into order. And we know that Adam sinned, and Eve did also. They brought sin into the entire race. But before we condemn him, how many would agree, yeah, if I'd have been there, I'd done the same thing. How do I know? Because I, I have many times looked at something in my life or had something go on in my life, and I, I realized it was a sin, but what did I do? I went ahead and did it anyway. Don't look at me like that. You're all the same. I know. We're human beings. Even though we know better. Even though we know better, sometimes we just wander right into that thing. Well, I wonder what that would be like. Right? Is that real? Okay. So this is what happened. This is what, what we're dealing with. And, and, uh, and Romans 5.12 says this. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. So that's clear, right? That's just what I said. So we have this sinful nature by birth, but then we also prove it by practice. There should be more amens at that point. Psalm 14, 2 and 3 says it this way, The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned aside. They have uh, together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So no one is qualified. Everybody needs a Savior, for sure. There was a missionary once named uh, Jacob Chamberlain, and all of his years, he, he was a missionary to India, and all of his years in India, he never met one man except one who declared or tried to claim that he had never sinned. And because uh, he would always start with that, you agree that you sinned. And, and, he, and he was a Buddhist Brahmin, and he, he said, I deny your premise. He said, I'm not a sinner. And, and so uh, the, the Chamberlain, he didn't really know how to react to that. He thought about it. He kind of said a silent prayer. And then all of a sudden, he got a, just a revelation from the Holy Spirit. Because the guy said, I, I'm not a sinner. I don't sin. And so Chamberlain said, what do your neighbors say? And all of a sudden, some of his neighbors were in the room. And one stood up and I said, I know, I, I, that man has cheated me before. He's committed fraud against me. And, and they, they be, one after another, began to stand up and tell of sins he'd committed. And at that, the man stormed out of the room and never returned. Because in 1 John 1.8, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And that is very true of every single person here today, every person on the planet. So the Bible makes it clear that there is a price that needed to be paid for sinning. A price had to be paid. The penalty for sin is death. Even the smallest sin, there's a penalty and it's death. And we can all die and die eternally for our own sin, or we can put our lives in the hands of the one who paid the debt for us. This is the choice that's before us. So that leads us to the next point, which is the person of salvation. I love how Paul describes the person of Jesus in verse 4. If you still have it open, look at it. But, but it says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. He describes Jesus as the kindness and the love of God. Doesn't that just hit you right? Doesn't that feel right when you think about it? That Jesus exemplified and really truly personified the kindness and love of God. And so again, back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, we're hiding. Do you remember? After they sinned, they're hiding. The, the moment Adam ate the fruit, all creation was turned upside down and has been groaning ever since, Romans tells us, waiting for the redemption to take place. The entire, you understand, the entire universe was affected by what he did in the garden. And, uh, 
And so, so they, they, but at the, the same moment, as they looked at each other and realized for the first time that they were naked, because not only did sin come to the human race, but along with it, and something we all deal with at one point in our life or, not, uh, or another, is shame. Shame came on them in that moment, right? They were ashamed as they looked at each other and thought, and something different. Now before it was okay, and now it's not okay, because sin had entered the race. And so they're ashamed and they're hiding and, they're, and, and, and so uh, they proceeded to hide not only with clothing that they made for themselves, but when it was time, they also hid themselves from God in a part of the garden where they thought they could be hidden. And it's, isn't it sickening when you think about what our sin does to our relationship with God? Like it, it just ruined it. It just ruined it. But we do the same thing. And so, so then, you know, as you know, God comes along and he, he curses the serpent. And then, but when he curses the serpent, he also at the same time pronounces the cure at the same time. He brings a curse, but he tells you, but here's what's going to happen that's going to set everything right. And here in Genesis 3.15, we have the first promise in the Bible of a Savior that will come. And uh, it's actually when he's uh, speaking to the serpent, he says, I'll put enmity or strife between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, it suddenly changes pronouns to he, because it's not talking about the woman anymore. It's talking about the offspring of the woman, which is Jesus Christ. That's why it switches right there. He will crush your head, and you will strike at his heel. The striking of the heel was the crucifixion of Christ. The crushing of the head was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When the, head, when the heel of Jesus Christ came down on the serpent, and at that point... Though Satan still has power, it is borrowed time and it is borrowed power until the end comes. But right now, the Bible says he's already a defeated foe. So when he's trying to get an advantage in your life, you just say no to the devil. You are defeated when Jesus rose from the dead and stomped you on the head. And not only that, I know, the devil, that you are also under my feet. Right? He's placed everything under our feet. And uh, so, so, so we, we get this idea of, of the fullness of salvation that, that takes care of everything. And so, so we, uh, Adam and Eve, uh, again, they stand there ashamed to be naked. They heard the sound. And, and as they're naked in the garden, they're standing there. And, and uh, God says, the clothing you've made for yourself, your own righteousness isn't going to cover it. It's not going to take care of it. And so God says, you know, I'm... I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but stay here for a minute. And Adam and Eve are sitting there with their fig leaf clothing on and looking at each other wondering what's next. And across the garden they hear an innocent lamb, life being taken by God. The bleeding of this innocent lamb as God has to kill this lamb. Catch what I'm saying? Then make skin clothing for them, animal skin clothing. Now the skin clothing is no different in covering them technically Right? Because they were covered. You would look at them and go, well, that's an interesting outfit. I don't know that I'm into fig leaves, but, you know, it's all right. And now you're wearing skins. Not much different. I still can't see your, your parts with me. But that's not what God, what God was talking about when he says, I'm going to cover you. What's he talking about? The blood of an innocent lamb had to be slain. Right? Across the garden, you hear the bleeding of that lamb as God is, has to take the life of an innocent animal to cover them sin. All of this is leading up to the big picture, right? Because before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. This is what we're after. Then we see further on in the Bible that Isaac takes his son, his only son, up Mount Moriah. And, he, and, and, and he, 
Isaac asked his father, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Because they went up to sacrifice. And, and, and in a moment of just clarity and Holy Spirit uh, prophetic word, he says, God himself will provide the lamb. So God keeps speaking about it. Now he's speaking about it through Abraham there. And God indeed uh, provided a, a ram in the thicket to take the place of Isaac on that altar so Isaac didn't have to... So, so, so he takes the place of him there. And then in the time of Moses, the, the, all of the plagues have come and the final plague's coming. And, and yes, death, everybody's deserving of death. Even Listen, even the Jews are deserving of death. But God says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do though. Because I have a covenant with you. If you will kill a lamb and you'll put its blood on the doorpost, when I come by, the death that you deserve, you will not receive. And everybody in that household will be protected by the blood of the lamb again. You catching what I'm saying here? So we see that God is providing before the world was created, but all along the way he's pointing to and the, the prophets and the poets and the, 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 we could go on and on. We could speak of many stories in the Bible. The, the furnishings of the tabernacle. All of this is pointing to one thing, and that's Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Man lives by death. We do. I mean, you've got to admit, our lives are sustained in the natural by the death of creatures. You say, well, I'm a vegetarian. That's okay. And I apologize if you're coming to Rooted tonight. We are having... Uh, pork <laughs> so anyway if you need to bring something else we'll have some other side dishes but we're having meat but um but but even as a you understand even as a vegetarian the and i'm not saying that uh, plant life but the plants have to die for life to be sustained so so we are always sustained by the death of something in in a natural way and that's how our lives are sustained. But in the same way, if you will, our spiritual lives are preserved by the death of our Redeemer. Abel's lamb atoned for only one man. The Passover lamb would only atone for one family. The lamb on the day of atonement, which came later with the law, would atone for a whole nation of people. But Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, His blood atones for all the sins of everyone who will Admit they're a sinner. Find, re remember that they're lost and understand that they need salvation and turn to the Savior. And so that leads us to the final point, and that is the pathway to salvation, the pathway. When I was about eight years old, my uh, stepfather, well, he wasn't my stepfather then, but he was going to be, and so he decided to take me on a little fishing trip in, in the Atlantic Ocean, and um, we, he rented some kind of a little boat and... Uh, I think it was his brother came along and maybe a couple other step-cousins. I don't know. It seemed like there were probably five or six of us in this little boat. And it had a little tiny outboard motor on it. And we, we go out and we're fishing for mackerel. And Oh, my goodness. I only caught one. But I'll tell you what. Those are the funnest fish in the whole world to catch. They are so exciting. And they fight really hard. And uh, so anyway, we were fishing for mackerel and we, we got a couple in the boat. And, and we were, I don't know if we weren't paying attention. I was just a kid, so I'm just so busy. I'm enamored with this fishing. I really hadn't done much. And all of a sudden, before you knew it, there was this fog as thick. I, I don't think I could have seen from me to Chris in this fog. It just came in and we're in the middle of it. All right. And all of a sudden you look around and you think, and, you know, the boat's just kind of out there in the middle, <laughs> right, and moving around. You have no idea. There's no orientation anymore which way is north, south, east, or west. You have no idea. And way off in the distance, you hear eventually a, a foghorn begins to sound. And you hear this kind of distant sound. But honestly, even, I don't know, maybe other people could tell. But here I am, an eight-year-old, and I, to me, it sounded like it was coming from every direction. And I, and I just thought, oh, no. And I, I looked at the eyes of the adults in that boat, and, 
And their eyes were telling me, oh no. They had no idea. For all we knew, they could begin to motor and go straight out of that, that bay that we were in and go right out into the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And, uh, you know, and in my little eight-year-old mind, it's like, I, I, I didn't really understand all the dangers, but I could see in the adult's eyes there was danger. Does this make sense? So I was, so, I was beginning to be worried myself. And, and so, so uh, we couldn't see anything. And, and uh, so eventually we were sitting there and we were kind of calling out and uh, we heard another boat kind of motoring near us and, and called out and they heard us and came over to us. And this guy happened to have a compass, praise God. <laughs> and he knew which way was up, down, and left, and right, <laughs> which is good. So we tied off to him and he motored slowly, very slowly, because it was so thick. But he motored very slowly toward the uh, west where he knew that the land would be. And eventually we could kind of see the beach and that sort of thing. And, and, but uh, what a panic moment that was when you thought about the fact that that you could be lost forever. And in verse 5 of our text, we see these words, um, he saved us, right? He saved us. And you may say, from what? Well, well he, what, what are we saved from? First of all, we're saved from sin. Hallelujah. Amen. We've already kind of covered that. But, and that doesn't mean we never sin anymore. We, we mean that after we're, uh, uh, after we're saved, but he saved us from, listen, I love this, the penalty of sin, right? We're not responsible. Even, listen, don't worry like... Um, Obviously, we should always repent. Daily, we should be repenting before God, right? But don't think, oh, I just sinned. If Jesus came right now, I would go to hell. That's not how it works. Your sins are forgiven in the past. Every sin you've committed is forgotten by God. It's, it's forgiven in the present, and your sins are forgiven even into the future as you abide in Christ, right? I mean, there is our responsibility to abide in Christ, but don't think because of one moment that, you know, because they used to tell us in the holiness, end of the holiness moment movement uh, that uh, we would get the impression that if you were caught in a bowling alley when the rapture happened, you weren't going to heaven. <laughs> right? So, you know, but uh, thankfully we've come a long ways since then in some of that. But I think we also have come a long ways in the fact that we don't think much about being holy anymore either. And I don't think... Holiness is defined by what you do or where you go in terms of going to a bowling alley. I do think there is a definition of holiness that we ought to be paying attention to. But it's not about whether or not you're going to go to heaven or not. It's about whether your relationship with God is going to be all that it can be or, and or are you going to pay the consequences for the sin that you continue to commit. Because you always reap what you sow. You think, oh, I can, just, I can afford this. No, you can't. You will reap what you sow. That's why sin is so devastating. So I don't want anybody to think that, you know, oh, we're... We're doomed if we sin along the way. No, we're not doomed, but we don't want to sin because there's, there's consequences. There's things that happen because of it. That's what it's about. And, 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 but, but we're also saved not only from, this is what is so amazing about the blood of Jesus. We're not only saved from the penalty of sin, but we're also saved from the power of sin. Now, this is, where, this is, this is why we need the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the Holy, if you're a saved person, the Holy Spirit's already in you. We'll talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit in a couple of weeks. That's a different experience. But you have the Holy Spirit in you. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, especially, uh, I think what the baptism does is it supercharges this relationship we have with the Holy Spirit. But, it, but the Holy Spirit will help us and teach us to say no to ungodliness. And so the Holy Spirit is there to, to be with us and to, to give us the ability to, say, to, to stay free from sin. So, not only, so now we have this advocate on our side, the Holy Spirit, as we keep in step with him, he's going to keep us uh, or help us stop from sinning in our lives and living according to worldly passions. So beyond being saved from sin, we're also saved from death. 
Anybody agree? Is that good? So, so for the believer, what we would term physical death is no longer death at all. It's simply walking from this life into the life to come. You will never die again. Your physical body will cease, but at the moment it ceases, you will go directly into eternal life. So you're never really going to die again. You've already got eternal life on this side. And you're just going to transfer one body to another as God is doing that, right? And so, so this is what's so exciting about this promise that we have, this life that we have from Him. So we're saved to life and from eternal death. We're saved from heaven, uh, to heaven and from hell. So what we were, we're like this, this robot. We were out there floating aimlessly in the world and we're out in the middle of, of where we'll certainly die without help. And God comes along and throws us a, a, a rope. He says, if you hang on to this rope, this rope of salvation and believing in Christ, if you hang on to this, I'll, I'll tell you to safety. I'll take you all the way home. And that's what God is doing. And by the way, when I talk about heaven and hell, I can assure you that, and I believe it's true, almost every, if not every cult, will uh, have as one of their basic beliefs that hell either does not exist or they'll modify it to be a temporary place that you can eventually work your way out of. Nothing like that is found in Scripture. That's why these, these groups that say things like that uh, are so dangerous. And why people are so willing to adhere to that because nobody wants to see their relatives or friends or co-workers. We don't want to see people die forever in torment. But this is what the Bible teaches in, in great detail, and I don't see how anybody gets away with thinking otherwise. And what, what this kind of thinking is called is universalism. In other words, that uh, everybody eventually will be saved one way or the other. And that's just not true. It's just not what the Bible teaches. And so, so uh, we, we just need to be really clear about this is horribly wrong to think this way, and it's important that we understand that because it motivates us to tell people the truth. Right? If we think, well, it's no big deal, eventually they'll get there. Like, but even as bad as a thought as that would be, but, but we give ourselves a pass that way. No, we, we need to use the reality of hell as a motivator to say, no, <laughs> I don't accept that. You know, I don't accept that, and we need to get the word out. It, 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 Jesus clearly says in John 14, 6, here's the thing. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When you hear kind of a statement like that, you've got to decide. There's three things you can decide about Jesus saying that. Is first of all, he's a liar. He's just lying. That could be one option for you. The second thing you could say is he was a lunatic. He was crazy. He thought he was something he really wasn't. You could come to that conclusion. Either one of those first two conclusions doesn't move you. But if you think there's a chance the third option is true, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Notice how they all start with an L. He's a liar, he's a lunatic, or is he Lord? If you decide this last conclusion, then you've got to decide about heaven and hell. Again, in, in Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. So how do we get saved? What is the pathway to salvation? It's believing and receiving. Believe that Jesus is alive, receive him as Lord. John 1, 12 says, Yet to all who received him, to all believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. In verse 7 of our text, says this, that so that having been justified by His grace, we might become the heirs of the hope, here it is, of eternal life. That's the hope we're looking forward to. Amen? Amen. Billy Graham said many people will miss heaven by 18 inches, the distance between their head and their hearts. Worship team, come on back up. 
The first square and four square is Jesus Christ, the Savior. It all starts here, and without this, none of the rest matters, quite frankly. If we don't start with this, if we don't understand, if we don't know that He is Savior, if we don't get that figured out, nothing else really matters. Now, how do we receive this gift of salvation? The gift, the gift of a Savior, if you will. We must simply believe that He is who He says He is. That He died for our sins on a cross and that He rose on the third day. You say, well, I, I think I believe. There's a guy in the Bible who said an amazing line. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. Would you be willing to pray a prayer like that if you're in that situation where you think, I, I, I think I believe. Hey, Lord, I believe a little bit. Help my unbelief. God will show up, I guarantee it. He'll show up and help you. So what do we do? We say, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life. Take over. This is what lordship is all about. This is what Lord means. He's taking over. You, we say, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God. You come to the conclusion that He is the Savior. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. By our own effort, we cannot stop sinning. Right? Okay? Nor can we pay for the sins that we have committed. And because of the state that we're in, sinners deserving death, something had to be done. Jesus did it. The price of salvation was everything. Everything. God gave it all. He gave His only Son to die for us. And even though God paid everything He could, the gift of His Son for salvation, the cost to you and me is nothing. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. Now, I say that. That's what gets you in the door. But once you're in the door, it, it will end up costing you your whole life too. <laughs> Just to be real about it. Because at that point, you decide, well, he is Lord. So I'm going to do, in other words, I'm going to give him everything. I give him my whole life. And that's really what it's about. Finally, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Scripture makes it very clear here. What does it take to... To have salvation, what does it take to have a Savior? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He is Master. He's in charge. Little kids, I say, He's boss. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And why? Because it is with your heart you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth you confess and are saved. Those two things, believe and confess. Believe and confess. Say, well, I've heard all this before, Pastor Sal. I'm going to keep talking about it until you can repeat it to other people too. I'm just one voice, but what if we all repeat it? What if we could get out there and tell people, did you know that without Jesus, there's no hope? So, oh, what if I offend them? So what? What if you save them? Right? You understand? What if, what if we lead them to Jesus? I mean, we don't want to purposefully offend people. But when, and, and I said this to, to someone the other day, we were talking to Jim, I said, if you see people marching off of a cliff, is it love to just let them march off because you don't want to offend them? Or is it love to say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> Stop. Don't go this way any longer. This is ending in certain death. Turn around. Repent. Turn to the Savior. That's what love is. Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.